Deep trip planning is often thought of something you do for those big adventures, you know, the ones that last for months or even years. But Martin Smith says that deep trip planning is equally important for shorter trips that are far more common for most of us. Ideas, tips, and tricks coming up today on this episode. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. Best Rest Products is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. For many riders, when you hear trip planning come up in a conversation, it's usually to do with a long trip. We have many people on this show that plan for six months or a year or even longer sometimes to take their trip for a few months or a few years. But when it comes to those shorter trips, the ones that most people do, well, they often don't get the attention that I think they deserve. Now, Martin Smith of Manchester in the UK specializes in organizing short trips for himself and a group of friends. Nothing commercial, just a group of friends going on a couple of week adventure to various locations in the US and Europe. Now, the thing is, to do these two week trips, Martin spends six months planning the adventures. Six months. But those six months of planning add to the adventure itself. They add in Martin's understanding of what he will experience on the trip, but probably more importantly, it gives him a better look at the possibilities before he goes. Now, much of this kind of flies in the face of what we often hear when it comes to motorcycle travel, that you shouldn't plan too much, you know, and much of the adventures and the delays, the breakdowns, the getting lost, etc. Well, in reality, not many of us are heading off on a ride around the world with an unlimited time budget. In fact, most of us do much shorter trips like Martin does with his friends, where there's less time for the adventure. And if there's less time for the adventure, there's less time from the randomness of breakdowns, delays, and getting lost. And it's probably a good time to put a little bit more effort into planning your adventure. And on top of that, with the world having changed the way that it has, at least for now with COVID-19, it's probably a good time to look at another approach to motorcycle adventures. Okay, my name's Martin Smith. I'm from Manchester in the UK, and I work in IT. Now, do you go by Marty or Martin? I go by Martin. Martin. So 
So as far as riding motorcycles, you, you sort of made an attempt, you made several attempts before you actually got on the bike. And that's where I wanted to start with this. Uh, your, your first attempt was what? Yes, I did. Um, I mean, I've always grown up around motorcycles, but my first on-road bike was a small 50cc, was just to get me to work. That turned into a 125 12 months later. But the way things were with the uh, UK licensing is you lost your ability to ride on L plates and you had to take your test. Now, at the time, I was more focused on uh, getting a car, probably because of the UK weather. Um, probably because uh, of that age, you know, I was looking for uh, transporting girlfriends around who were less keen on jumping on the back of a bike. Right. So they're leaning towards the guys with the cars. Yes. So, um, yeah, I went out of the, um, yeah, the, the the motorcycle community at that point. And it was only when I found myself out of work, it had always played on my mind that I'd never got my license. It was in around about 1991 that I passed my test. Uh, and I went into it, actually, it was with my brother-in-law, who unfortunately had a bit of an accident um, after that, which uh, then um, put me under a bit of pressure from my wife uh, not to uh, look at two-wheel transportation. So it was, again, many years later where we were sat watching Tom Cruise on his GPZ900R, and I tended to mention that that was the poster bike when I was a kid. And that's the one I always wanted. So she turned around out of the blue and said, well, why don't you go and buy one? Because she couldn't see me for dust then. Off I went. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought an S1000RR. Um, and really, that was the start of the travels. And I did a tour of Scotland on the sports bike. And yeah, I realized at that point I was going to have to progress. And it wasn't long after that that I uh, bought the GS and I've been on adventure bikes ever since. A lot of people, when they do trips or, or even think of trips, they think of much longer trips than what you do. They think of going out for months at a time or, you know, selling everything and traveling around the world is a lot of people's dream trip. But that's not the style of, of travel that you do. Can, can you talk about the style and, and why you choose the style that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I think that certainly from uh, my perspective, I can see that there are a lot of people, myself included, who have pre-existing commitments, whether that's family or job. And as much as I'd like to sell up and uh, take a long trip, my you know circumstance doesn't allow that. Typically, I'm limited to a budget of a couple of weeks uh, with my commitments to the job. So the way I approach it is to say, how can I effectively make the best use of that time and how can I squeeze as much in to that journey? And when you make the, the transition from that weekend exploring to the further trips, I like to do a lot of the planning up front. I've talked to a lot of people and I've met a lot of people when I've been outbound on these trips and especially when I uh, you know, head to the Alps um, and they plan to um, arrive and just tour around with no real plan. And what I have found is that if I do a lot of the upfront planning that I quite often do for my uh, friends that come with me, um, we can commit to the journey as soon as we get there. We can make sure that we absolutely see as much as possible and get the best possible route given the time that's available. 
So this is sort of the antithesis of what you'll hear with many people traveling. As, as I mentioned, a lot of people talk about, they, they think that traveling is you know, longer bouts, but not everybody wants to even go on longer bouts. Not everybody wants to sell everything and head off for you know, a month, a year, 10 years or whatever. A lot of people are, are just interested in a short adventure like what you're doing. And also the, the style that you're talking about is you're, you're doing incredible amounts of pre-planning right down to planning your route on programming it onto your GPS. So you know exactly where you're going to go. That sort of flies in the face of a lot of advice where people will travel, will tell you, you know, go get lost, go out there and slow down, get lost, uh, enjoy yourself. And, and yours is, is almost completely different from that, the opposite direction. It is, it is. And I think that, um, it's, it's, it's a different way of planning. As I said, that you want to hit the ground running, you want to make sure that you enjoy the ride and you're not thinking about, you know, where is it I'm going to be today? What accommodation am I going to have at the end of the day? Because you haven't really got the luxury of that when you're looking at a short 10-day to two-week trip. So it does take a, um, a bit of upfront planning, which luckily I find it very enjoyable. And I think that we've given a lot of tools now to be able to do this beyond what probably would be in the uh, back in the day. You turn up with a with a paper map and you'd only pull it out if you weren't quite sure where you were. You'd have a route which would consist of a uh, piece of paper and all the major junctions on there. But now we can zoom in and out of a Google map to the point where we can take our little street view man and drop him on the road. So when you're looking at the map, you can say, is this exactly the road I want to be on? Is this going to give the absolute impact I'm looking for, for myself and the people who are riding with me? Is the scenery there? Yes, that's the road. And we can approach it in a very different way. And I think it's a very good way of doing it. I've, uh, the people who are traveling with me, I've given them an itinerary. It lays down where we be, what we're going to see. And um, I suppose that makes me the tour guide, a little tour guide, but uh, it works for us. Now, what about the spontaneity? Do you, do you feel there's anything lost there from not being spontaneous and not having the ability to just explore? Um, no, not at all. Um, because there'll always be something which be thrown up against you, whether that's uh, making mistakes whether that's mechanical failure um, or just experiencing something new that you don't know how to deal with. So regardless of the planning, it's it's there. that the, Even the simplest of trips can be eventful and memorable. That's interesting. So you, you're planning it to the T sort of thing, but in that you know that you're, you're going to be throwing hoops in, in this thing that you're going to have to figure out. And that's sort of, I guess, the adventure side of it. It is, yes, yes. Um, on the most recent trip, um, we had uh, little excursions through building sites. We had plenty of drop bikes. We had broken levers, traveling companions who couldn't get past the toll booths because they had American credit cards, <laughs> queues of people going crazy behind us. But there's always the events there that, that throw up some uh, deviation to what you intended to do. Well, the other thing that popped in my mind when you're, you're talking about planning the GPS routes is the fact that, you know, you're saying you enjoy it so much. That's a whole adventure in itself. I mean, you're, you're getting sort of weeks of enjoyment before you go and in, in anticipation as well, almost like coming up to Christmas when you're a little kid. If you celebrated Christmas, you know, you've got that anticipation of what the possibilities are. 
That's it, exactly. Yeah, and the the, the most recent trip, I must I must have spent um, well over six months planning it, um, fine tuning the the routes, changing my mind on which roads we were going to go, looking at the budget that we had. But um, there's a lot of time that is spent looking at the map. And it is. If if you enjoy that, it's it's a trip in itself. You you then get to relive it for the second time when you get to get out there and ride it. Mm, I can't help but wonder though if, if those street views might take away some of the the surprise, you know, when you arrive at a certain place. Um, I mean, I, it's not that you do the street view um, on every day on every road, um, and that could possibly the case if you were if you were going to run it that way um i think it's this way you have two possible routes and you're trying to decide one from the other what the condition of the road is does it does it look a better road is the scenery better and it's those type of choices that that street view is helping with Mm. And the thing is, the technology is there nowadays to do all these sorts of things. So, you know, one perspective, and it may be yours, it, it's, it could be almost kind of foolish to go off and not at least access the information that's available to you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can never not use past experience. So I will always um, go on to the forums, talk to people, ask them about certain areas, the must-have roads that we need to go on. And that all goes into the mix as well. So it's, it's, it's not too clinical. There's, there's that human element there as well. How far off the mark does it get for you on a trip? Because you planned this so well. Do you find there's times where just everything falls apart? And, then, and how does that affect the way you deal with it? Because you're so used to having it planned. I think on some of my past trips, where I've fallen down is you, from experience, you have to have an appreciation of the road and the type of road you'll be riding. You obviously can do a lot more mileage on a decent A road than you will when you hit some of these alpine passes when you've got hairpins. And time, budget of time within the day is, has always been a challenge. I've, I've found it even on this most recent trip, we've, um, we've had to make some adjustments on the fly from the, the planning that I've done. Because we're just we're just running out of budget, and it's not just the road conditions. This most recent trip we did, there were seven riders. Quite often, I'll go out with three or four, and I didn't appreciate that the time it takes to do anything with seven people is a lot more than three or four. So whether that's getting off off the bike for a bite to eat, or everyone wants to take photos of the scenery, um, and it it just adds to the the time constraints so yeah i have certainly have had to adjust for uh things on the fly like that mm, yeah I, coming from a, a commercial tourism background i know exactly what you're talking about the, the smaller groups are much easier to muster and the more people you get it's almost like a train because the simplest things you know of, of getting your packs done up in our case getting spray skirts on or or whatever the case was all those little things with, with more people drag it out longer. And then the more you sit there, the more somebody else will have something up. And, and even when it comes to riding, you, you see it with, with groups, there's always one person that has to clean their face shield or forgot that they you know have to clean their glasses or, or they were going to check something. 
And that just drags out. What we ended up doing was we, we had a, a standard way of doing it. We always gave times that were wrong, sort of. I mean, if we wanted to leave at 10, we would tell people we want to leave at 9.15 or whatever the case was. And you'd judge it by your group. And you'd have to do that. You've you got to build it in because otherwise you're, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to be so far behind at the end of the day that you can't get caught up. Yeah, that's it exactly. They got better. I think if you get everyone on the same page, people start to adapt. They can pick up the slight cues and things things do smooth out. And I found that certainly with, with these guys, you kind of find each other's rhythm. The Red Rock Garage is a coffee shop with a motorcycle addiction. It's a motorcycle destination in British Columbia, located in the heart of Beaverdale on Highway 33. It's in southern British Columbia, Canada, just north of Washington State. If you're doing the Alaska to Ushuaia trip, you only have to make a slight detour to the Red Rock Garage. But it's a destination in itself because it has such great riding around it, both paved and dirt. Now, they've got fuel and great coffee. They have camping and a and b and the riding is just spectacular. So you plan to go there, stay overnight, and then head off an adventure. You can even use it as a wagon wheel design, you know, where you, you camp there, or you stay there at their B&B, and you head off for adventures each day. The Red Rock Garage. Oh, they also have the Red Rock Retreat as well, which is a building, uh, like a like a, an indoor accommodations. So you check out on their website. Beaverdale, British Columbia on Highway 33, the Red Rock Garage. Find out more about them at redrockgarage.ca. And hey, anytime you're dealing with them, you phone them up, talk to them on, on Facebook, whatever the case is. Mention you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That means a great deal to us. Redrockgarage.ca. IMS Products was founded in 1976 and has been owned and operated by off-road racers and enthusiasts for over 40 years. IMS relies on its employees' years of experience riding, racing, and building dirt bikes, ATVs, and other vehicles to develop the, the innovative products that they have like their fuel tanks, I mean, their fuel tanks are so common, the, the IMS fuel tanks. But more importantly, what I want to mention right now are their foot pegs. They have a full line of foot pegs for us adventure motorcyclists, all made with cast 17-4 stainless steel. They use a certified heat treating process. They're built in the USA and they have a lifetime warranty. And I know from, I can, I can tell you from experience rather, from riding on these pegs for years now, they make an incredible difference. They do everything they're supposed to do and more. And, and the neat thing is, and I've said it before, is that this is a product that when you put it on your bike, you will forget after you get used to how good they feel and how much connection you have with your foot to your bike, you will forget that they're there. And that's because they're doing their job that well. You don't have to think about it anymore. You know you're connected to the bike. IMSproducts.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, let's talk about how you do this. So you're, what are you doing? You're doing once a year and do you pick a certain number of days and how do you get with this group of people? Yeah, I think we always try and do one larger trip with a few long weekends. So we'll, we'll identify uh, where we want to go and what is a, uh, a good area for riding. We want to revisit somewhere we've been there before, but maybe change the route to take in some of the things we've missed. Or do we want to try a completely new area? I mean, the plan that we have for this year has, has very much changed with the, uh, the situation mm. we're in. So we're, yeah. we're now looking forward to the year after, which, which we're hoping to do uh, US coast to coast. 
How do you get your group? Where, where does your group come from? It's uh, friends and acquaintances over the year, the people that I ride with in the UK. Uh, but I'm closely involved with a group of people who, uh, who, who are in the States. It's a group of people that we have regularly met up on the tail of the dragon. Um, they do once a year. I get over when I can. Um, so we're, we're, we're quite a tight-knit bunch on that side. But it's, I think it, when, when we start to plan it, so it's a case of getting the people who are going to be there on the same page. It, you'll find it's a lot easier if, if they either relinquish control to one person or you can get canvas opinion and they will then accept the, the group decision on where you're going to go, what the route's going to be, how long we're traveling for. That's a difficult one. I mean, to get a group of people to agree on just about anything, <laughs> if, if it's not highly organized, it's difficult. But to get everybody to sort of give over to you as as the leader and say, okay, that's fine. How do you manage that? Or, or is it just worked out that way over the years? I think I give them every opportunity up front to say, look, you know, here's the options of where uh, we can go and what we can see. Okay, this is your opportunity to, to speak up. But once... Once you've had your chance, or if you don't take the chance, then I'm off planning. I'll come back to the group every so often as a decision to make. But uh, generally, I, I think that they've seen that, that what I do for them um, has worked in the past. So they have faith in you as a leader, and they're just quite happy to let you plan the trip and follow along. Uh, that's it exactly. I think I think they'd say that themselves. Yes, they're taking advantage of you, Martin. They're getting a free tour guide. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> but that's what you love, though. It is, and and um, often people have said, you know, why don't you look at um, do something more commercial? But it's a fine balance. If you then start to do something commercially uh, from something that's a hobby, you've got to make sure that you you don't lose that thing that you enjoy in it. Um, I do it purely for enjoyment. Uh, I don't necessarily want the, the, the pressure of doing it commercially and selling on those services. Mm. Yeah, it, it changes everything. There's no doubt. I mean, I think a lot of people mm. realize that anyone who's done that, and I've certainly done that in my life a number of times, taken something that I love and turned it into a vocation and yeah, I mean, it changes the dynamic and you have to be careful not to get lost in it and not to lose your soul to to what you're doing. And I, I certainly understand that. We, we talked a little bit about planning there. You were saying that you you figure out, you know, some place that you want to go. Once you've decided that, you know, talking about, for instance, this, this next trip that you're planning in the year after this, um, going coast to coast, talk about how you do your route, how you choose what you want to see and how you discuss it with everyone. The way I typically approach it is that um, we'll know our starting point and we know the type of roads we want to go, the type of things we want to see. So I'll start to draw out the road from very crudely from where we're starting to the very end of the trip. Once I've done that, then it's a case of looking at the road condition and how feel we'll be able to travel within those days and breaking up that very crude initial route into the daily segments. Once we've done that, we can look at what um, accommodation might be available nearby so we can adjust the endpoints of those daily uh, segments. And then it's a case of concentrating on the segments themselves. 
making sure that the mileage is right. We're not pushing ourselves. We can enjoy the journey. Uh, we've got the good roads, and um, we can we can fine tune within that. You know, we can. You'll find that within that daily segment, there are possibly many different alternatives. So that I think is when the the, the fine tuning comes in. And this is all done on the internet with GPS, like planning it for is. GPS rather. It is, yes, yeah, yeah. I use I use an online service to uh, to do the uh, to do the routes. Um, it helps that that allows me to um, start with Google, which is giving me a lot more information and the ability to use that street view facility before I flick over to for final calculations using the map, which is installed into the GPS. You make your track, and then when you're finally ready to go, you load it onto your GPS and you go. Has it ever completely fallen apart on you? It has, yes. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I've I, I've learned a few lessons over the uh, over the years. Um, certainly, on early attempts, um, I didn't have enough waypoints in, and made a mistake. Let the GPS do an automatic calculation. And it trashed the route. So uh, you end up pretty much going where it wants to take you where, rather than where you want to be. Right now, now get, um, now get into that a little bit more. What, what do you mean trash the route? Um, when we approach the route and you put in your waypoints and you can put additional shaping points in there, transferring it to the GPS, if the GPS or the sat-nav device, um, if you allow that then, to recalculate dynamically, it's going to go to the next waypoint and not to the track that you wanted to do, the particular road that you wanted to travel. And that's something that is, is very easy to do if you if you get the settings wrong on the uh, on the sat-nav device. Right. Now, that's something you can turn off if you want. That's a recalculation mode. It's very common. I mean, all of them come with it. Mm. As a matter of fact, it's, it's really kind of required for you using uh, your phone, for instance, to find, you know, you're going for a meeting to meet somebody or something like that, and you make a wrong turn. That's what you want it to do. You want to recalculate, get you back on track, and get you back to where you're going. But in this case, what it ends up doing is it can, it can scuttle your adventure for you. I'll say exactly. Um, yeah. So it's a case of, of being aware of having the correct amount of uh, waypoints in there, in addition to shaping points. Waypoints are pin destinations, many of those along the route. Shaping points are just where you're defining that route and pulling it back onto the roads you want that aren't necessarily announced by the sat-nav, but are there to draw the track along the road. Now, as we say, that if you don't have uh, manual calculation on, then it will dynamically pop in and do the fastest recalculation from A to B. And quite often, the fastest route isn't the best route, isn't the most scenic route. And some GPSs have the adventurous route, and the Garmin ones, they have that function on there. You can click off the adventurous route and, and it will find you adventure, supposedly, from what the computer knows. <laughs> that, that's exactly from what the computer knows. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, there, there are a lot of roads out there which... Um, I think if you if you were using experience, uh, you would rather pick rather than the uh, the sat-nav device itself. But it's a case of being aware of the of the pitfalls, and once you get comfortable with the GPS, 
And I think it can certainly add a lot to a, to a journey. Now, the GPS is often I refer to as like looking at the world through a straw because you have the, the size of your screen and that's it. And you have to pan your way around as you're looking around. Do you back this up at all with paper? I do. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that really forms part of the, uh, the itinerary um, that I kind of print out just to, to, this is again, the group dynamic. This is the point of the itinerary is to say, okay, you've, you've put your faith in me. Here's the document, which shows you what you're getting for doing that. Um, I think as far as the paper-based systems are concerned, I always have those major waypoints printed out. So if I had to manually type them in again, if, if there was a problem through root corruption um, or a problem with the sat-nav in general, I've always got the A to B to C to D plan on a piece of paper. You mentioned that you, you don't camp. So what's the style of travel? We, um, we're largely a, a mix between uh, B&Bs and hotels. Again, it's the, the, the people who are with me which, which define whether we, we could have camped or not. Uh, I'm quite happy to uh, take the luxury at the end of the day, especially it's been a hot day and you get a nice bathroom with a shower. Um, we, we have glamped, much to the disdain of one of my travelling companions who uh, <laughs> was, was more looking for a bit more luxury. So you're booking, you know, hotels as you go along. That's part of the route. Those are sort of, um, those are hard dates, times that you've got to get to places. Does that ever create problems for you on the route? It has done. I think that's when we were talking about the type of daily budget we've got in time and and miscalculating on um, the group dynamic with the number of people or particularly a road condition. And... Yes, it is. It is a a final destination that we have to meet. Although I do tend to have uh, a decent bit of time in my pocket, I think it'd be unwise not to leave a bit of time. And again, we're, with these type of trips, we're setting off in good time in the morning, and there's no pressure really to get where we're going. We will get there in the end. If it means that we arrive late at night, then we arrive late at night. But um, it's never caused any major issue, although it has caused us to adjust the route once or twice. Mm, yeah, and that's some of the pressure of having places you have to be at a certain time. In particular, if the whole trip is laid out that way, because if you were laid up for a day, it would completely mess up the whole adventure and, and mess up those time spots. But on the other hand, there's something to be said for knowing that you already have arranged your place to stay. You don't have to panic about that. You know, if you're running a little bit behind, maybe you've got to call ahead and just let them know you're running behind, but you know you've got your spot. It's not going to be like, yes, we've ran behind and now we've got to find a place to camp and it's starting to get dark. Yeah, we, we have that experience. The last trip, we, uh, we had the guys who were flying over from uh, Indiana uh, they were delayed. The, I realized that the flight into Iceland for the connecting flight was going to land about uh, 10 minutes or so after the previous flight had left. So they ended up having a bit of travel disruption there. But uh, because of that, their luggage went missing. So they had to hang back, wait for their luggage to arrive. There was a lot of thinking on the fly. It was, it was challenging, but uh, you know, we, we managed to get back together again. And... Uh, we've never had anything which has caused any complete blow up of the plans. 
the the potential is there that it can it can knock everything out and you would have to replan your accommodation while on the road Mm-hmm. You mentioned budget as well. How do you, what do you do with the budget? How do you work that out? You, do you throw a number out there to a group? I mean, seven people plus yourself, that's a lot to organize, especially when there's so many open answers that need to be, or open questions rather that need answers, including the one for budget. How do you get people to agree on that? Well, the, the budget really is, um, is helped by the fact that with, with the group, we can, we can get economies in the accommodation. Certainly financially, um, time budget is defined by the the length of trip that we've got to play with. It can be done quite economically. I mean, the, the, the costs that we usually face are on an average, you know, it, it depends where you go. I mean, if we, if you're going through, um, some of the more exclusive parts of the Alps, you're going to expect to pay a lot more on your daily accommodation than some of the cheaper areas. So it balances itself out. You've mentioned um, your your most recent trip a couple of times now. This most recent trip you d- you did in Europe with your friends that came over from the US and I guess some, some buddies from the UK. You ended yeah. up writing a book about it. The book is called Are We Doing the Stelvio Today? And it's Seven Riders Tour the Alps um, with your name on it, Martin Smith. Now, what is the book about? Is is the book a, is it a tour guide? Like, is it a a guide to that route, or is it a story about your experience? The experience primarily. Um, like I say, I do break off as much as possible and talk about how you should approach planning a route, um, packing for it's all type of things that um, certainly I take and the way I approach packing and. Then it's really about the, you know, the, the the story of how we then applied that. Of course, we'll we'll put a link in the in the show notes to wrap things up it, with the experience you've gained planning these shorter trips, in particular for your for your group of friends. Um, shorter trips as in being you know a, a few weeks or more, but not very long trips overall. What sort of tips would you have for someone looking to do something similar? Yeah, I'd I'd suggest the best. Uh, way to do is, is start with initial research. Try and find someone who can offer you the uh, GPX files, whether that's an individual or uh, or for magazine. Um, quite often, these files will become from someone who has travelled those roads before and knows the the good places to start. Feel free to adjust them, um, but be aware of the road conditions and how long you want to take. Within that day, it's not a race. You're there to enjoy it. Um, so, typically, I I would aim for what would be six to eight hours of riding a day, and then build on it from there. Take time to see where you want to go, and that uh, that you are in agreement with the the group. Um, it's always best to get everyone on board from the start last thing you want to do is mid-adventure someone saying well well, i wanted to go that direction Mm -hmm. Uh, and um yeah Uh, like i say upfront planning for me is key especially when you're limited on the uh, budget if it's a you know a week 10 days or 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 a fortnight to fit in with maybe your your annual leave but um if you can hit the ground running you know where you want to be, 
you're comfortable with with the uh, the mileage you're going to put in, then ultimately you'll get a lot more out of the trip. Now, do you have any contingency plan built into there in case things go wrong as far as time-wise? Yes, I I do have a bit of time in my pocket. I always try and keep keep something back. Um, I do not ever ride to the the limits of time. Luckily, if you know, if, if we do have um, something go wrong, this means we've got a few more hours riding to get to the destination. Uh, if we arrive there at uh, midnight rather than time to go out and, and get some food, then we just have to take that on the chin. And what about um, as, as far as your budget goes when you talk about making a budget, how do you make the budget? Are, are you adding up? Are you actually going through and checking bookings at all the hotels that you're looking at and then calculating fuel and food and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think um, certainly uh, fuel is a, is a given. It's uh, We don't really have that much control over it, but certainly where we do have control is, is on the choice of accommodation. Uh, you will find that there are more exclusive areas when you're traveling than others, certainly certainly in the Alps. Uh, but you'll also be able to find a lot of cheap uh, accommodation. Uh, I know Switzerland has a, a reputation for being a lot pricier than, say, on the Italian or the French side. So I think we, we, we don't shy away from some of the pricier accommodations, knowing that the average is going to balance itself out at the end of the day. And being in a, in a group, you have the ability as well to, to share rooms. That certainly helps us. And we find you, you'll get a lot of rooms that, that can, uh, you know, you can take three, four people and that really adjusts the, the price downing. And it does, it does work out quite cheap if you were, you know, compare that to a, to a package tour or even some of these other tours that um, guided tours, you know, it's, it, I, I would certainly recommend having a go yourself because there's, there's a lot more enjoyment than just the ride as well. The planning is certainly, um, it's enjoyable for me and I'm, I'm sure that others would get a lot of fulfillment from it as well. So that's where the, the savings comes in. That, that's where I guess a lot of the um, attraction to having a group is you're splitting the rooms, which drastically knocks back your costs for hotels, in particular in places like you said, Switzerland, where, mm. where you're going to be paying a lot of money up front uh, or, or a lot of money as a single person rather booking a room. Yeah, the price can it can vary wildly. We can stop at some places and the, the budget for the, uh, for the whole group can be 30, 40 euros. We can stop at other places and it will be 300 euros. But the key is, I think, in, in getting those averages down. Um, you're going to pass through in these type of areas, um, some quite exclusive areas, and you, you can fall unlucky. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're segmenting a route and the end of day A doesn't quite match where you want to be, then you don't really have the flexibility to to put another 100 miles onto the route to get to somewhere where it might, it might be just that little bit cheaper. So you take it um, as, as an overall view. You look at the final budget. Mm, rather than looking at each one individually. And I yes, guess this is yeah. part of where that pre-planning comes into, into effect and, and becomes a huge advantage because if you're looking at the route in advance, you can see that, oh, there's this in a real expensive place to stay here. But if we continue on just a little bit, or like you mentioned there, cross over the border maybe into another country, you might get much cheaper accommodations. And that's where you find that, isn't that, that pre-planning that you're doing. 
That's it exactly. That's it exactly. We, we, we have found, I'll often have a bit of flexibility, 50 miles either way uh, on our pre-planned route to, to try and search the areas. So we might find that, that where we intended on stopping, uh, we'll find something uh, that we never even considered. Um, place names that weren't even on the on the horizon when we thought about where we were going to be passing through. Mm, and it's interesting, you spend six months planning this trip, and a lot of people will do that for a year-long trip or more. But you can do it with this and, and get huge value from it, from putting that, that much work into planning. Not to mention, we talked about your enjoyment of actually doing the planning. I see exactly. I think if you look at the an area like the Alps, there are so many great roads. Uh, there's so much scenery, and it it does pay benefits from doing the planning because uh, there's so much you could potentially miss if you just take the wrong turn and you're just following your nose. The, um, the there's a lot. There's a lot that you you, you could miss. Mm-hmm. Martin, thank you very much. And it's, it's nice to hear a different style of, of travel. And I think in particular, because we even talked about, you know, this, this problem that we're having with the pandemic, it's going to force people, at least for this year anyway, to look at some maybe different um, types of travel, different different methods. And it'll be shorter, you know, because the international travel, travel is going to be difficult for us for some time. And that makes the style of travel that you're doing, just looking at shorter uh, trips, being more intense with your route, certainly much more attractive, I think. And I think it will probably ring with a lot of people. Um, we'll put a link uh, to your book in the show notes and, and good luck on your book, Martin. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I've been speaking with Martin Smith from his home in the UK. He's just completed his first book called Are We Doing the Stelvio Today? Seven Riders Tour the Alps. In his book, he talks about their adventure and misadventures in the Alps, but you'll also get some of the great tips from what Martin has learned when it comes to trip planning. We've got a link to his website in the show notes for this episode. His website is redsmarty.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much for being a part of it. Thank you to Elizabeth Martin, who is our producer working in the background here. And if you're not doing it already, we really need your support. It is built on a model of advertising and listener support. These are tough times, of course. We're we're all feeling the COVID-19 thing, and we are in particular. We really need you to get behind Adventure Rider Radio. If you like listening to this every week, you're enjoying what you're getting, um, time to support if you're not doing it already. Also, we would love it if you would like our Facebook page and give us a rating 
on Facebook, and in particular, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're getting them on iTunes, go to iTunes and give us a rating. Obviously, I want a five-star rating, um, but anywhere you, you're getting it. You know, if you're listening on Podbean or any one of the other places where you find um, Adventure Rider Radio, even Spotify, give us a rating. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next week. Marissa Notier. And I'm Tim Notier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 